Okay, we're talking from uh, Matthew 23 today. We're going to have the whole chapter. Um, so it all seems to be talking about the Pharisees, and I thought it was a good, it was a good chunk to do. We look at the Pharisees, we find out some of the things they're doing wrong, we try to avoid them. Nice, easy sermon. Right up until I went, and went for a commentary to start trying to understand one of the, one of the passages that I didn't get, and it changed my reflection to being from the Pharisees to me, Eh, but never mind. We will uh, still start. What I'll do is I'll read part of the scripture, then I'll talk about it, and then when we get to the seven woes, I'll read each woe, briefly talk about what it's talking about, read the next woe, and then sum up at the end where where those woes are taking us or where they took me. And um, yeah, and eventually I'll stop. If you need to go, feel free. If there's anything that brought up to you that you really think you want to ask a question about, feel free to do that while we're talking in a smaller group, it's quite possible. If I say something that doesn't make sense or you don't understand, feel free to interrupt, ask a question, we can do that too. It's one of the bonuses of being small, we should take all the advantages we get. Um, I also apologise if I appear to be peering over my glasses at you, because there's so much reading to do, I'm going to end up having to do this which is a really bad look when you're speaking because it looks like I'm looking down at you. But um, unfortunately, in order to read, I need them. Nate did say I could get someone else to read, but that just was actually way too much, way too awkward for me. So I just decided to read. So the first section that we do is Matthew 23, verses 1 to 11. I'll just read them. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you to do and observe... Oh, sorry. Therefore, all they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things, and they do not do them. And they tie up heavy loads, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their barrack cleats and lengthen their tassels on their gums. And they love the place of honour and banquets and the chief seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the market places and being called by men rabbi. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servants. Matthew chapter 23. <laughs> oh. So, the Pharisees, in their teaching, weren't actually incorrect. Jesus says, do what they say, but don't do what they do. Because the Pharisees had the right teaching, they just didn't have the right lives. And that, that brings us quick. Do we have the right lives? What we say we believe, do we live it out? I think we're very blessed to have uh, Nate, as he preaches about uh, evangelising the people. What does he do in his spare time? Actually, he evangelises to people. And this is a good thing. Our leaders, the people you look up to, are their lives consistent with what they 
had preached. I mean, I think we all know, we know a whole, and we won't be perfect. We all know a lot more than we live. If we've been a Christian for a long time, it's not hard to learn a whole bunch of stuff and sometimes get overwhelmed by how much stuff you're not doing. But are you doing the important stuff? Do the people who lead you serve? Do the people you look up to, are they servants? Or are they actually after your worship is the wrong term, I guess? But are they after your... Do they, do they want you to look up to them because... Is that why they're doing stuff? Or are they doing it because they believe it's the right thing to do? We need to question our own motivation. Why am I doing something? Jeff's working with Fusion because he believes Christ has taught him that it's about relationships. So he's gone out and he's found a way to have those relationships. I guess given his job, he's probably like me. I believe that we need to have relationships with the people around us. So I joined the coach program two years ago. Haven't had a client yet. They, they, they rang me just before uh, a little while, when the lockdown was about to end, and say, look, we found someone at Wilmont. Would you be willing to meet with them? Yes, but they're not vaccinated. Okay. Well, as long as I'm only meeting with them, that's okay. But three of us meeting makes it illegal, so I'm not willing to do that. Uh. So we still haven't met yet, um, because then Christmas came, and then there's holidays, and everybody's away. And I'm doing that because I don't meet people. I've got neighbours on both sides of me. I've been there almost 20 years. I don't talk to them. Unless I have to. My wife talks to them more than I do. She seems to like it. I don't know why. Not that our neighbours are bad. But for me, I need to be involved with people in my area. So I found a way... (laughs) I needed to find a way that I could exercise that part of my faith, where I could be involved with people. It used to be through youth group, but um, I got married and I stopped doing youth group and we stopped having youth group and I got too old. So that wasn't going to work for me anymore. So I couldn't, I could have just sat at home, watched my television, bought a bigger one, been comfortable. But because I believe that I need to be involved in people's lives who are less blessed than I am, the coach program came along and I thought I'll sign up for that. What's important in your faith? And you, if the, what, the things that are important, you need to find a way to, to enact them in your life. Um, and however that works for you. Because that's what we're judged by. Jesus is judging the Pharisees, not by what they taught, not by how good their doctrine was, although it wasn't great, but what their lives were like. What's our life like? If Jesus was talking about our lives, would he be saying that we're in the same boat? Are we doing it because we're respectable? But the next, the next section is the seven woes, and we're going to read them. And the fact that I, I thought, I've always thought that this was about the Pharisees and the way they acted, and they were doing more stuff that was wrong. It's very easy to criticise the Pharisees, except when you realise that the Pharisees were the established religious order. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, guess what? You belong to the established religious order. So some of these reflect to us. But the point that changed my perspective on this, and it wasn't just about the Pharisees, was a commentary I was reading about this chapter says, the focus isn't on what they do, it's on their inability to see that the stuff they were teaching was not pleasing God, that they were not helping people please God. 
that the very system that they were following was keeping people away from God. So let's read through some of these words. Uh, number 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men. For you do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow other, those who are entering to go in. So somehow they were shutting the doors of heaven to people. They were keeping them away from God. That'll be the, some, in their traditions, in the way they believe that you carried out your religious duties to to please God was keeping them from God the next word woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte and when he becomes one you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves <laughs> the Pharisees evangelized they went out seeking converts to God <coughs> when they found people that were spiritually searching they actually made them worse than what they were. The next one is 16. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the on the temple, of the temple, sorry, he is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that is sancti that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering upon the upon it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, he who swears swears both by the altar and everything on it, and he who swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And he who swears by heaven swears by both the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So they had the wrong perspective. They were honouring the wrong things, is the, is the, is the crux of that, that word. They're honouring, instead of honouring God and honouring the temple, they're honouring the things that they've done, what they put on the altar, the gold in the temple. Maybe if we had a nice big building, we'd be saying, look how much God's blessed us, because we've got this great big building, we've got this. That's not what's important to God. What's important to God is that we please him, that we've got characters that please him. Not necessarily how much money we give or any of that. Now the next two woes are very similar. In fact, I couldn't find any good, this is what drove me to the commentary. Um, I couldn't work out why these two woes were there. So to me, they read the same. Um, I'm about to lose the middle of my Bible. Um, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weighty provisions of the laws, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are things you should have done without neglecting the other. No, no, that's not one. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Sorry, I'm one woe ahead of myself. Um, they had it right. They were tithing of everything they did, but they were ignoring neglecting the important things that scripture had said. They were neglecting being just. They were neglecting forming a society that looked after the poor, that gave them justice. They were neglecting faithfulness. 
And it's easy for us to reflect on those things ourselves. Are we good people? Are we concerned with driving a society that is fair and just? I don't know. It's a difficult choice. Should we be placing more effort on things like the fair trade movement. We've got a couple of young people who are really into that. They're really awkward because I can't give them coffee at my house and I can't cook the chocolate cakes. Both things I like to do. And, I, and for me, that doesn't seem to be a concern, but maybe it should be. Should I be more concerned with the society that's fair? It's a little bit more difficult because we have to have a world perspective now. Their worlds were much smaller than ours. Television's a great thing. Communications. So we, have, it's, we live in a world where we need to be concerned about the world, which is pretty difficult. I know I find it hard to be concerned about people I don't actually know. It's, I don't know whether it's a dysfunction or whether it's common. Um, but it's easy, it's much easier to care for the people around us. Most of us are pretty nice people, it's pretty easy to care. It's a lot harder to care for the ones that don't love us and uh, feel abused by society. And it's easier to not get involved because it's so tough. How do you help someone who's been abused by the system? You don't know what to say. You can't relate. You can't tell it's going to be all right because it's probably not going to be all right. Do we need to get training? Do we... Sometimes it's just easier to give up. So, oh, actually, that's too hard. Someone else has got to do that. And I don't know what the answer is because we can't fight every battle either. If we try and spread ourselves across every battle that we see, we will never achieve anything. We will not make this progress. Sometimes we need to pursue what God's laid on our hearts. Adam pursues helping deaf people. Because for some reason, God's laid it on his heart that this is a really important area for him. We need to find and pray for God to reveal to us the battles that are worth fighting for us at the stage of life we're at, and do our best to fight those battles and trust that God's fighting the other ones. And we have to remember when we're fighting those battles that it isn't all up to us. That God needs to be with us as well. It's not about us. It's not about the strength of our arms that we'll solve those problems. We need to rely on God. And sometimes he'll call us to battles which we don't think we can win. And the man who discipled me would always seek battles he didn't think he could win because that's when he drove him to prayer. As soon as a challenge became something he could accept and do, he'd move on. Because he said, oh, well, once I can do it, once I can approach someone in a playground about, with the gospel, I need to get, I need to ask God for something bigger. Because after a while, I can do that by myself in my own strength. And so he kept getting pushed up rungs of leadership, dealing with things, because otherwise he just got comfortable and he didn't believe that's what God wanted him to do. Anyway, now to the two uh, woes which are the same. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which the outside appears beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and uncleanliness. 
Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The Pharisees were concerned with the outward appearance. They were concerned how they appeared to other people, particularly how they appeared to other Pharisees, but also the people around them. They didn't worry about what was inside. Now, I don't know whether we suffer from that or not. It's difficult to tell. Like it or not, church in the Western countries is largely middle class. We have a set of values that would be classed as middle class, which sometimes makes church uncomfortable for people who aren't in, aren't in the middle class. When I moved to Mount Druitt, my goal was to be in a church in Mount Druitt that, um, that reached the people that weren't middle class. I thought we were doing some of that in Plumpton, but then Plumpton folded. And I find myself quite disillusioned now. Is the gospel, I believe, just a middle class gospel? I don't know the answer to this. Is it? It doesn't seem to impact the people in the lower socio-economic areas. I understand why it doesn't affect people who are in the upper class. They have enough money to survive by themselves, so it's by the strength of their arm they're quite happy. Well, relatively happy. So, and I don't know how to address the question of whether the gospel, I believe, is just the one I'm comfortable with. Because most of the stuff that God wants me to do, I would do anyway. You know, I wouldn't take drugs. Having affairs is just crazy by anyone's standard. I don't understand why people would even think that was a sensible thing to do. But they're all middle class values. They're just... Um, so I try and get involved in, in other people's lives, as I said, with a coach program. But I do find myself disillusioned that God doesn't seem to be reaching into Mount Druid. It doesn't seem to be making a change in the people who seem to need him the most, whose lives are the most dysfunctional, who've got the most disadvantage, who don't have two parents who love them, who don't know what it's like to have parents who are clean all the time. That's, and I, I wonder sometimes if that's a problem with our church's message. I don't know. I, I really don't know the answer to that. But the woe is about his eyes. What are, do we stress the wrong things when someone becomes a Christian. If someone becomes a Christian, what would we do? Because imagine now someone comes in off the street, they're musically gifted, they become a Christian, they say, oh, I just want to serve. Well, we don't have any music, so that'd be really good. Um, so how would you like to get a guitar and stand up here every week and play? Would that be our priority? Or would we say, well, you are very talented, and that'd be great to have you occasionally, but what we really want you to focus on is getting to know more about God. Getting to know God better. It's our church, I believe, certainly it's something I've been a victim of all my life, is about, often Christianity is about being busy. How busy are you helping the church or helping God? It wasn't about, John, you need to work on your character. You need to work on that dysfunction you have when you get too busy, that you get really cranky. It's never been about that. It's, are you meeting your obligations? Will you be able to get this stuff done? That was never directly said, ever. And yet, I was very conscious that you needed to get stuff done. The people I respected got stuff done. Most of them managed to do it in a godly manner as well. But 
I probably didn't notice that so much as the fact that they were getting stuff done. So my priorities in that area are wrong. Are we happy to let people sit in the pews while they're learning? Learning to deal with God. Do we stress to them that they need to work on their major character flaws before they get up and start serving in a public ministry? Where maybe they're just glorifying in the fact they've got this great gift and look at all these people appreciate them, they're being able to share that. It's a difficult choice. And then the last one. Take the Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, If we had been living in the days of our father, we would not have been partners with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Consequently, you bear witness against yourselves, and you are sons of those that murdered the prophets. It then goes on to say, How. God will send the messages of prophets and they will kill them. They will treat them badly. We can never say that we are better. If we were there at the time Jesus was being crucified, it's very, very likely we would have all been in the crowd shouting for his crucifixion. We are not better than that. When we see people fall to a sin, we really can just say, thank you, God, because by, except by your grace... I would go there too. We are not better than that. We are here because we need Jesus. We are not necessarily better. And it's not by our strength that we survived a lot of the temptations that have come our way. Maybe God reminded us at just the right time. Maybe God closed the door which we didn't know. But we need to remember that we are not better than those people. We are just as bad. We just happen to have God's grace God has just happened to choose us to be part of his family. And we need to be thankful for that. And we need to be able to reach out in, not sympathy, but in empathy towards the people who have sinned and try and help them to get themselves straight again. Not in a judgmental way. So the, the whole point of this passage that, that caused me to think about it is, is there anything in our religious, in our in our religious expression that drives people away from God, that would hinder them from getting close to God. Because when Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, he's talking about their failure to perceive that their religious practices of teaching are inconsistent with their professed desire to please God. We all desire to please God. Are there any things in our practices that are stopping us doing that? Because we didn't design this church, we came along. A church does what it does. Do we think about it? Do we ever think about what is a church? And if we think about what a church is, once we know, once we decide what the Bible has told us that we believe a church is, are we going about creating that experience? Or are we just experiencing church because that's what church does? Who am I to question this question? And what sort of questions do we ask people? Uh, to try and get to the truth of where their heart's at. I was talking to someone from the Greater West for Christ leadership, and he was saying, well, we, we all think that discipleship's really important. He says, so I wanted to find out what the leadership thought. And he said, but it occurred to me that I could ask two questions. I could ask them, who thinks discipleship's important? He says, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to that. Everyone put their hand up to him. So instead, the question he asked them was, 
who is discipling. Because what you do tells you what's really important. Not what you think. Not, what you, not, not the beliefs you have necessarily. What you do really stresses what you think is important. Evangelism is important to Nathan because he does it. Relationships are important to Jeff because he's made it important. He's found a way to make it important. What's important to you? Are you making it important? I had the, uh, the, the joy of going... Not joy. I, I had the blessing of going to um, a small group seminar a couple of years ago um, run by Saddleback Church. Um, that's the guy who did the Purpose Driven Life, whatever his name was. Yeah, he... Um, but what really impressed me about that church was he has sat down over the years and worked out what he thinks church is. And then he's designed a church system that conforms to that. He believes you need to have public worship, but public worship is not necessarily about learning. That's not where you go to learn. They've designed special classes for new Christians to learn basics about Bible. Christianity 101, blah, blah, blah. They talk about... It's basically a school. If you want to learn facts, you go to a school. So they've designed that. And then they've designed the home group system. Because their church is big, the only way you can have relationships is in a small group. Most people can't deal with more than seven. People like me cope with two or three. And we're good. So they believe you need to have small groups. So they design their system to have small groups. Small groups address different concerns than the public gathering. Public gathering is more of a evangelical... Uh, it looks more like, from what I could see, they didn't say what the purpose of it was, but it looked more like an encouragement of those people who go to small groups to keep on the keep on the path, keep going. Keep, keep on... So they've designed what they think church should be and they've changed their practices to do that. They've got a long story about how that was difficult because you've got people entrenched in customs. And you only have to think back a couple of years when someone suggests maybe we could get rid of morning tea in the middle. Whoa, wasn't that an interesting argument? Because <laughs> it was something we always did. I love morning tea in the middle. It was fantastic. Um, and I think there's still room for it. <laughs> haven't given up. <laughs> but, um, but are we willing to consider our traditions, our habits, in light of what we believe the church is? And worse, am I, are you, willing to say, I think church is this. And if I think this, it's this, how do I express that in what we do, what we get involved in, what we prioritise? And that's, that's the bit that got me because that's tough. It's hard to see what you do and say, oh, am I doing so? I'm not sure the Pharisees could have seen that their religious practices were not leading people to God. I don't know. I want to please God. If someone tells me if I do this, it'll please God. After a couple of years, I believe that that's pleasing God. Fortunately, we have the advantage of the Holy Spirit and we also have the advantage of each other we could have some robust discussion about what we think as we start meeting here. What does it mean to be a church that meets under an awning? What does it mean to be a church that's small? We've only got 53 members on the on our membership roll now. What does it mean to be a small church? And does that affect what we do? We need to think about that. Because if we don't, we'll just keep doing what we've done. 
And that may not be what God wants us where what God wants us to be. It won't be an easy discussion. We've got we've all got different needs for church, we've all got different ideas of what it is. But we need to take our ideas and go back to the Bible. We need to justify our discussion through God's word, not through oh John likes morning tea. I want to vote for morning tea because I like morning tea, especially the cakes. I really like the cakes. Because <laughs> that's when I can let my diet go. Yeah. Because that's godly. Got to have cake to talk to Adam. <laughs> so why are we doing what we do? This uh, verse is quite challenging for where we're at at the moment. We're, we're at a, a point of inflection where the church could change. We're no longer meeting regularly in a hall. We want to go forward. Even if we were to decide to build a hall, even if we had the money we need to build a hall, we're still a year or two away. How long does it take to build a hall that day? I don't know. Two years? Three years? A year. A year. So we still would have, at the best, even if we started today, we've still got a year where we're going to be meeting under an awning. How do we best use that, that time under the awning? Where do we go for that? And in your life it's the same. In my life it's the same. What are the things that are important? How do you make the things that are important in your belief of God work out in your life? It probably means you have to give up some stuff. I mean, I've got a really tough work schedule coming up. I'll just give up sleeping. That's what I'll do. I'll give up watching TV. I'll give up socialising with my family. Because right or wrong, in my in my head, work's really important. When church is really important, we give up stuff to make it to church. I don't know how many people remember Ted. There's a man who had any number of excuses not to get to church. But he would get to church if he possibly could. Even if people had to give him injections of whatever it was that would keep him mobile by the end of church. I don't know. Would I be that serious about getting to church? Is church that important to me? Is that church that important to us? I don't know. What I do know is whatever God has laid on our heart is important to serving him we need to prioritise that. Maybe we need to prioritise it over work. Maybe we need to prioritise it over attending church. Maybe we need to prioritise it over football, over sport, over whatever it is. Because that's how we please God. We prioritise the things he's put on our hearts. Maybe we won't have the stellar career we'd hoped for when we were younger. But... When we get to heaven, God's more likely to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's, yeah, pretty much that's that's me done for Matthew 23. Thank you very much.